Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. All right. I actually did it correctly. <laughs> I think this is like the second time in a row I've actually yes. I've actually clicked it correctly. So, yeah. uh, Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. And uh, this is... I guess we, we took last week off, but um, mm-hmm. I've got some wines to share for this week. I've also, I do also have a beer that I would like to just briefly mention because we went to the brewery yesterday and um, to uh, Martin House, which is a pretty good brewery in Fort Worth. Um, they had a, a beer launch that mm-hmm. was for a barbecue beer that was very interesting. Victoria loved it. I liked it. I I think its base is a sour, and I'm a little bit over sours. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was it was very good. They also had a um, a really interesting. I I can't remember what it was called. I should probably look it up. But it was like it was a, a it was a rice beer, but it was black. Like I'm, yeah, I, like, I don't know like how they black got the color. lager, but. Rice. Yeah, but with rice. Huh. So I don't know how they would have gotten the color on it, um, unless it's not only rice. It could be that it's also yeah, whatever else. But it was it tasted a lot kind of like I it was like a like a wee heavy but lighter body. It was it was good. I, I like that one a lot. And some of the best salsa I've ever had in my life. There was a dude vending it. We were sitting and since we were sitting out in the heat eating, I was like, well, let's go get some chips and salsa from this guy. And we got. Um, like a green salsa. It mm-hmm. wasn't salsa verde. It was, uh, it was, uh, mixed with avocado. So it was like avocado and green peppers mixed mm-hmm. super, super good. And then the red one was also really good. They also had a yellow one, but we didn't try that one yet. Uh, that's apparently their best seller, but maybe next time. So yeah. it's, it's fun when you're out here right. in Texas, we'll, we'll go to Martin house. Probably it's yeah, a that'd be good. nice place. It's right there on the, right there on the river in Fort Worth. So, when it's not 105 degrees out, it's nice to go take a walk down the <laughs> side of the river there. But um, yeah, so that was good. I'll, I'll save my wine ones for a little bit later. If you want to go ahead and share what you've been sipping yeah. on this week. So not this week, but I had gotten this because uh, I'm an idiot who can't and who reads, but reads the wrong thing. So I went to Total Wine and like one of the things I've been noticing is like, the beer selection out here is getting weird because there's a lot of local breweries, but like you can't get a lot of local stuff in the breweries and like devil's backbone, which used to be like a local brewery. Um, but it was in Leesburg, yeah. but got bought by like, I'm going to say Boston beer, but it, it wasn't Boston beer, but it was somebody like that. It was got bought by like a big beer company and you know, they're getting heavier under the market. They do a bunch of different stuff. That's okay. Um, but like I went to total wine a couple weeks ago going like, I want to get like a beer, like kind of like a, I want to find something, you know, it's like that, like discoveries, like I want to find something good. So I'm walking around and like they reconfigured as I've complained many times, they reconfigured the section and they've even reconfigured it more where like they've removed like more of the beer section where now like they used to have a cider section that was pretty good. Um, but now it's like seltzery things, but it's like seltzers dying too. So it's just, yeah. it's a weird mix. And there's just a lot of stuff where it's like IPAs, but like 
nothing where it's like, Hey, this is just a mellow IPA or like, Hey, like it's like people trying to go like triples and like triple IPA, but like just not well. So walking down the aisles and I see a sign that says Czech style Pilsner and your former boss, my current coworker, when he went to, uh, Czech Republic, like told me about Kozel. And like, when I was in Czech Republic, I pretty much only drank Kozel and I loved it. It was super good. And I was like, Oh man, this is anything like Kozel. Like I'll get a pack of it and I'll bring it to our coworker and be like, dude, cause it was a local brewery. But when I looked at the, the case, it like, so like the sign said, you know, Hey, um, this is a Czech style beer, but it was like, I couldn't tell who the brewery was. Oh, interesting. Okay. So when I looked at it, like it was like Italian style Pilsner. And I was like, son of a bitch, like <laughs> something I've not even heard of before. I was just like annoyed. And so I get home and I'm like, this says it's on Fort Monroe, which is like just across the water uh, from Norfolk where I live. And like there's Oozle Finch, yeah. which like is a brewery that's, right that's over there. yeah. So this is actually by Oozle Finch, but it's like some sort of Nost project. So this is Nost's wistful affection four pack. Now I can't find anything on their website that explains what the hell Nost is. Interesting. Okay. So it's not like <laughs> that marketing. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, Hey, this is the Mason and Jacob brewery and this is the Mason line and this is the Jacob line. Yeah. And then these are our collab beers. Like, okay, that's a cool idea. This has got like some like head brewer, Rachel Howard. Okay. Lady head brewer. Cool. Interesting. But is she the head brewer for Oozle Finch? Like there's nothing on their website that I can find that explains what the hell this means. So like, and you know, you know, me pissed off immediately. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, cause as you and I both know, there's no reason to have a not good website at this point. Like yeah. what is that? And especially when you're doing some sort of like project thing, cause like even on the can, it doesn't really say like noist or nosts like wistful affection by Oozle Finch or, or something. Yeah. It's just not clear that it's an well, Oozle Finch beer. Does nost mean something? The word? It's all capitalized almost like it's like some sort of acronym or something. Um, I, I just don't know. So, you know, nost, in the, like nost brewing project, Hampton, Virginia. Yeah. So that's what it said on there is like the nose brewing project, but that's, yeah, that's all it says is that it's located on Oozle Finch beer. Yeah. So, So. and when you go on their website, it's not like it's a subsection. It's, it's very frustrating. So, um, Italian Pilsner, I was like, okay. So I pop one open and it's like, it is a like, and because part of what I was thinking is like, oh man, like if there's a local brewery that does like a, uh, a Kozel style beer, this will be good. Like I can get like kind of a drinking beer like this. You know, like Will's always talking about a sessionable beer and stuff like that. And it's not that like I want a sessionable beer, but like I also don't want to drink like 
monster beers, like nine and a half, ten percent alcohol by volume anymore when it's just like IPA. It's like, you know, something else usually. Um, so it was bitter, but like not bitter in a bad way, but yeah. it was more bitter than I was expecting. Then it was like, it was also hazy. So like it was pretty like unfiltered looking, which was pretty cool. And um, then from there, it was like, so like when you go drink a yingling and it may be because like I've known about yingling since I was like 12 or the fact that the brewery started in like 1859, it's a refined beer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly the reason I like it is because it just tastes like what it is and yeah, not anything off or weird or anything like that. Unless it's warm. If it's warm, it has this weird additional flavor. Well, that I don't it's more caramel to it, which I yeah, like. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah. that's kind of where this was more like. It was like, more, oh, it was like okay. a wilder version of Yingling. Interesting. But okay. like, if you put like it in a can and Yingling in a can and like had them cool, like you wouldn't be like, yeah, these are like the same style. But like, if you sipped it and kind of, it got closer to room temperature and stuff like that, you'd be like, I see what you mean. Like, this is very much like a Yingling's wild brother sort of thing. So it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't amazing. It was like, you know, 16 bucks for a four pack or whatever. Um, had low alcohol by volume. So that was kind of appreciated. So it wasn't like some killer, but it was also just not like, because there was so little information about it, I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. But what I found much more interesting was Italian Pilsner as a style. So like, it was like expressly like kind of a rejection of the German Pilsner styles and like the Germans being more rigid, the Italians wanted to kind of experiment. And apparently like a bunch of Americans are doing it now. So like I found an article that we can put in the show notes um, from hopculture.com, which sounds like a website we kind of should know about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'll put it in the chat, but like, you know, it was an interesting read again. I didn't, you know, it's one of those bloggy articles that was just too long. So I didn't read the whole thing, but it was very interesting about like a guy. Cause he was talking about like a, a Kolsch, um, which I like, like, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, you know, Hey, this is what people said about Kolsch. And like, you know, it was just, it was an interesting story, but like at a certain point it was like, uh, it's not like the guy with the wine magazine where it's like just the facts. And none of your bullshit. It was like too much bullshit, but like not anywhere. It was like, oh, and then when I voted for Bernie Sanders, I had a hard on, and you know, right. it was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't need to know about all this beer stuff. Yeah. But <clears throat> being a cultural website, like, okay, like I get more of the background, but I was just like, I just want to know about the beer style. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's a beer snob site. So, yeah. Like yeah. So and that's good. You know, let's uh, stay on the beer topic because my article is actually a beer related article today. Okay. Um, yeah. And then we'll go to my wine reviews. Uh, did you see the news about Stone Brewing? No. They were purchased by Sapporo for $165 million. Wow. Yeah. So I was shocked about this because I kind of recall us talking about this, that Stone has been approached many times by several different um this article that I'm reading is from the just the San, San Diego Tribune. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as I recall, I think we've talked about it before. Maybe I'm mixing up the brewery, but that they had been approached by several 
people to purchase them for very large amounts of money. And they've said no every time. Yeah. Uh, there are, and I mean, for those of you who are listening that are not beer people or don't know, like Stone is a, a big brewery. It's a huge mainstay in San Diego, um, Southern California generally. And it's also, but it's available nationwide and they make great products. Um, I don't think I've had anything from Stone that I didn't care for. Um, I've had some of their, like some of their crazier IPAs where it's just like, yeah, eh, this is, wasn't, one, wasn't bad. It just wasn't for me. Are they the one that made that donut beer? That, uh, I don't think so. Okay. Cause I remember I don't like that donut beer, but I couldn't remember yeah. who made that. I think it is somebody from Southern California though, that makes that. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And they said, and also, like, I don't associate Sapporo with this style of beer at all. I associate them with mm-hmm. extremely light. Uh, <laughs> Refreshing. <laughs> I, I like Sapporo. It's just, yeah, yeah, a, exactly. it's just a very, it's just super, super light beer. It's just like a, um, it's, I just don't, this is just not how I think about it. But maybe that's part of their business plan is they're like, look, we want to expand into this, the market of like good IPAs and, you know, the other things that Stone offers. Because I think Stone also has a pretty lucrative uh, seltzer business too. Uh, I haven't other, ever although, seen anything from Stone for no. that, but like that doesn't mean that that's not true. I just yeah. I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know. I in it, I I might be making half of the information up, but uh, but yeah, that, I thought that was just kind of an interesting um, thing. So apparently the the deal is going to be done by the end of twenty twenty four. Uh, and according to the article, part of the reason for this is because it will also double Stone's current production volume uh, because Sapporo is going to be able to bring in, I guess, additional money for it. Uh, and from I'll read this last the last art, uh, paragraph here just because it's kind of interesting. So um, uh, we approached Stone Brewing seeking a partner for our growth plans in the US. And we quickly recognized they were an ideal partner with bi-coastal brewing capacity, loyal fans, superb management, shared cultural values, and a commitment to the highest quality standards. Uh, This guy's name is, uh, so it said, said Kenny Sadai, chairman of Sapporo USA. Mm -hmm. Uh, This acquisition, puts the resources and legacy of the largest Asian beer brand in America together with one of the most innovative and recognized craft beer brands in the world. So uh, that's pretty interesting. You can all say hi to my wife in the background. Uh, (laughs) She just walks around now in the background. Um, But uh, yeah, so I I just thought that was kind of interesting like that. First of all, I didn't realize that Sapporo was the largest Asian beer brand in America, but also I can't really think of any other Asian beer brands, so it would make Ahi. sense. Yeah, Ahi, Ahi. I guess, yeah, Ahi. And uh, isn't there the owl one, the one with the owl on it? Um, I think that oh, one's that was, Japanese. Yeah. Uh, but, but I don't uh, remember what it is. I mean, Sapporo is Japanese as well, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, do you remember how much Dogfish Head was acquired for? I don't. Was it more than this? Really? Yeah. What was that? I said, really? Mm-hmm. Because I don't even think of Dogfish Head as being that large. Yeah. Well, how many barrels do you think Dogfish Head produces? I, I would have no way of knowing. Just more or less than stone. 
Uh, I would imagine less than stone. Yeah. So dogfish had, according to Wikipedia, 175,000 barrels. They got acquired by they got acquired by Boston Beer in 2019 for 300 million dollars. Stone less than 200 and a 2 year plus deal, they produced like 359 100,000 barrels. So almost like double the volume like actually double the volume and for almost half as much. So like that's kind of like showing like where the market is going, at least in my opinion, like for these crazy beers. Yeah. Well, and this was like 2015 stones brewing size. So, okay. yeah. And this is what yeah. it, this is what it says about the deal in the articles is the deal is valued at around 165 million with potential for additional payments based on business performance and uh, with. Oh, I'm sorry. I read this wrong. So the deal is valued at 165 million with potential additional payments based on business performance and is expected to close in August. So mm. um, I I wonder if that means that they're giving them 165 now and then there's like a time frame where they expect to figure out the rest. But yeah, I, I don't let me see if there's somewhere that's a little bit more clear on how much. Um, I'm just kind of curious because here, San Diego 8. Let's see what they say. No, they said the same thing. 165 million. I Yeah, I don't know. That's that's wild because, like, yeah, I, I would have thought that uh, Stone would have been worth a lot more than that. But it mm-hmm. could be that the merger is different, um, that maybe it's not an outright purchase. Maybe it's a merger that's different somehow. Um, how weird. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. But I thought that was a, a relevant article because no, it's definitely relevant because like I think it's it's one of those things to watch on like trends and and things like that and and that's one of those ones where like you know Sapporo and like you know I, I don't want to do the conversion but like so Sapporo is produces six point one six or six hundred. Uh, 616.374 megaliters of beer. It's a lot of liters. But like, that's one of those ones where like, you know, if you think about Sapporo, like, as far as I know, like, they don't produce like a lot of beers. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, honestly, I, I only know they have a, a dark one and a light one that's available at Sushi Place. And that's all yeah, I know about And, <laughs> and like, all I know is like, basically the light one. So like, and then I was looking at the, you know, so like the, you know, they said, Oh, anchor brewing. Okay. So they've got a San Francisco beer company. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Hmm. I guess anchor brewing. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So they bought anchor in 2017 for 85 million. And Anchor, so Anchor produces 132,000 barrels of beer in 2013. I mean, obviously, who knows what they may do now? Yeah, yeah. Isn't so, Anchor the one that isn't Anchor the one that was like a gold rush beer and then got canceled in Prohibition and then it then then they revitalized the brand a couple of years ago? Because I, I think we talked about this at some point. 
Maybe anchor. Um, no, because like uh, 1959, they're the one who makes the steam beer. Oh, okay. Yeah. They seem Which, familiar. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I don't think this is, a, as far as I'm aware, I don't think this is available around here. I This is one of those ones where, like, I feel like you and I have had this somewhere, but who yeah. knows for sure. <laughs> well, we may have independently had it both in California. I don't know. Yeah. It looks familiar, but not familiar enough that I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Makes sense. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think I, I I do think it's and it's also something that you and I are just kind of interested generally in is like the business dealings in the wine world. Like mm-hmm. actually, what, fun, interestingly enough, of the business dealings, um, uh, not D, is it decoy? Who, who's the one that makes decoy the wine? Um, let me look it up real quick. It is just, it's just decoy wines. So um, they were actually at this taste event in Dallas that we went to mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago, which I thought was like odd, but also there was only one Texas winery at the Dallas taste event. Everything else was California or Washington, which I, I was like, okay, that's interesting. I wonder if they weren't able to get anybody up there. Um, and it was mostly, there was actually some of them, and I did review those on the last episode. Some of those were really good, but I got some other wines that I'll, I'll talk a little bit about today. But anyways, the decoy, the point of that was that decoy also went public not too long ago. And I, I'm just, I'm kind of interested in the, like the business dealings of the alcohol industry generally, because it seems like it's just interesting to see how it kind of fits into the overall economy. Like, uh, like that, like the seltzer craze was just kind of bizarre, and now that now there's kind of like a seltzer bust. Like people just are not interested in it anymore. They're they're just kind of over it. And yeah, well, I think like the big thing with like seltzer, like the big problem with seltzer, at least as far as I can tell at this point, is like too many with too little very like too little distinguishing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, your local brewery can make seltzer and probably makes a great one if you like seltzer, but like Bud Light makes the same basically equivalent at Nicola can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, so they, why, so they can clean up. Yeah. Why would you yeah. say Well, this is, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I think it was Coors who did Zima back in the nineties where they, that seems like sort of a similar niche where they're like, we want to be in this, in this, uh, sort of woman's drink, or at least that's my impression of Zima. I don't know. I think actually, I think actually it was supposed to be marketed toward men, but they're like, you know, we're trying to market this to people like a lower calorie, like easier to drink in hot weather kind of thing. And from my understanding, Zima is still actually extremely popular in Asia. It's just not here anymore. I think it's Coors that did Zima. Uh, so yes, it was. And they stopped making it in Japan in 2021. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought it was big. I thought it was still big over there. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, that's the thing is like they was still marketed in Japan. Um, interesting. Okay. But yeah, they stopped in 2008 in the U.S. But it's like Smirnoff Ice. Remember, like when Smirnoff that's right. that was popular for a while. Yeah. And, and you know, Mike's Hard Lemonade. I kind of put in that same sort of category. Although I do still see Mike's Hard Lemonade places. Um, I mean, I still see both. Yeah. Uh, I- you see Smirnoff? I don't, I don't, I can't remember yeah. the last time I've seen a Smirnoff, but I also don't really pay attention to that section of the, 
sort. So, yeah. Well, and I think like the big thing that for me is like, I see it, but like, I also go, that's just heartburn. Just heartburn <laughs> right. in a can. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, which is what it was for me always. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let me, let me go ahead and do, we got a couple more minutes. Let me go ahead and do my two wine reviews and then mm-hmm. we'll wrap up. Uh, so I went to a wine tasting. I've got my wine tasting sheet here. Um, and uh, Victoria didn't care for it. I actually, I liked it a lot though. We had, uh, we tasted eight wines. Um, Victoria didn't really care for any of them. I think she wanted to just get sloshed and was not really interested in tasting wines. Uh, so <laughs> that was it. But they had two very interesting wines, I thought. One was a, a Sauvignon Blanc, which I pulled it up here. And it's uh, Domaine Grand Rocher Saint Brice is how I'm going to say that. Uh, it is a Sauvignon Blanc from Burgundy, mm. which is kind of an unusual place for it to come. And I'll go ahead and read the little description that the sommelier guy gave us. So uh, Eric Lavelle, owner and winemaker of St. Brice Le Vino, established Domaine Grand Rocher in 1987. Uh, the property comprises 22 hectares of vineyards uh, spread between Chablis and Auxerre. Uh, the area of St. Breeze is in the far northern reaches of Burgundy and is unique that it is the only region in Burgundy that is known for producing Sauvignon Blanc. And so behind this light gold color, St. Saint Le- Saint Breeze is hiding aromas of citrus fruit, black currant, and licorice, the taste of mineral, dry, and very delicate to the palate. So something that was super interesting about this one, the reason I picked it is I liked it, but I probably would not drink this regularly. It tastes like vegetables. It's really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like vegetables and licorice. So That it's, sounds it's, like awful garbage because yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't like i don't like black licorice yeah so. well it does it does have that flavor and or it, it's like a slight anansi or whatever they call those anansi seeds yeah anis um it it is i mean it, it's it's a typical sauvignon blanc it is fruity like citrusy and stuff like that but the citrus is very very toned down it's not nearly as tart as uh sauvignon blanc typically and it mm-hmm. has this just like extremely strong vegetable flavor that was like uh it's like snap peas, maybe like it, it's just a really interesting, like, Oh, well, that's kind of unusual. I don't think I've had so that like, flavor. So like fresh early summer greens. It yes. sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Really, really an interesting, like an interesting note, I guess that <laughs> I've not had, I don't think in a wine I, I've, I've had like the grassy flavors. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of where this comes from. I think they call it herbiscus, but this was like, like vegetables. It wasn't like grass. It was like, it was, it was super interesting. Uh, the other one, uh, I also pulled that up here and this, their site is actually a pretty good site. It's, um, of course it's Rioja. So, uh, that was, they, they had a couple of, they had four reds and, and, of, and of the four reds, I thought the Rioja was the best one. And well, of um, course it's Rioja. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their site's a great site. It's got a great English translation. Um, what's funny though, is his notes don't translate the wine. So it took me a while to figure out what the wine was. 
And so in the English translation is breeding. And in Spanish, it's crianza, I guess. So this is uh, Bodega Eduardo Garrido Rioja Crianza 2015. Um, and so if you translate it to English on their website, it's the one is breeding. That's the, uh, they have young man breeding, booking, and Grand Reserva. Yeah, yeah I, I like combining those in my head. Young man booking breeding. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) This one was, this was really good. This was actually interesting. It was 80% Tempranillo, 20% Grenache, which is not an unusual blend for for Rioja. Um, So the the notes that the sommelier gave me was uh, founded in 1923 by Vincent Garrido, though. Winery is now owned and operated by Amelia Garrido and her father, located in Rioja Alta. Uh, so, you know, we've t- talked about this before, is that it's uh, Rioja split in onto two sides based on the, the river that goes through it. Um, both French and American oak. That is a, that is uh, unusual, is wow. that I believe that Rioja typically just uses American oak. Uh, hmm. or, or maybe... It, Maybe I have that backward, but I I do know that Rioja is famous for only using one oak, and this one uses actually both American and French, which is unusual. Um, and then uh, the final description is rich cherry color and medium body. To the nose, this wine offers clean, fruity aromas with hints of balsam and fine wood. Taste is smooth and balanced with hints of ripe fruit. Uh, lingering, long, and delicate in the mouth. And I think that's a apt description of it. It's not as like Sakamtuya, like what you and I typically lo- like with like Tempranillo mm-hmm. and, well, and Grenache, for that matter. I, I like, I like kind of that where it's like really in your face. This is definitely a European style red where it's a lot more, it does still have a lot of those fruit flavors. That's what you kind of expect from a Rioja, but it does also have a lot more mineraliness, leathery, tobacco, that kind of stuff. And I, I think this must have been from the oak. It also has had a very strong uh, like French bread buttery addition to it, which I think goes really well with uh, anything that's sort of jammy to some degree. You get yeah, that, that sounds sort of, really like that sounds like a really good addition. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think I think that that if that's what they were going for, which I imagine they are because they're expert winemakers, <laughs> then uh, then it, they did they did a great job on it. This was uh, did I say it was a twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, this is 2015. They also have a uh, Grand Reserva, which is, um, as we discussed, there's there's Reserva, which I think is five years, and then Grand Reserva, I believe, is 10, mm-hmm. uh, aged in oak. And um, that Grand Reserva is 90% Tempranillo and 10% Grenache. And I was, I was wondering if possibly, I'd like to get it. It, I, it, it. This is not available in the United States, as far as I can tell. I don't know. I don't know if maybe these guys that I went to wine tasting could order it for me. But what I was kind of curious about is with the percentages on the blend in the Grand Reserva, if maybe that year Grenache was not produced as much and Tempranillo was, or, and then the year that breeding was done. So what I'd be curious to see is if uh, in 2025, when the Grand Reserva comes out from them, if, uh, if it's 80, 20, like breeding, or if uh, it's um, going to be 
9010 like the current grand reserve so I, I don't know i just thought it was kind of an interesting yeah that's a that's a good question because like the the idea might be that Grenache doesn't age as well yeah or it could be that like tempranillo is like what they're looking for more like for the long flavor like long aging flavor or it could be like just kind of like a classic tradition where it's like no no no, we do 80 20 um and but also like you're saying could it be that they weren't grown as much or maybe like there was some sort of not like industrial accident but like some sort of loss of crop or something like that so it's like hey the tempranillo can stand on its own longer so yeah interesting see one of the things if you look so young man um young man is 100 tempranillo and it is let's see it doesn't say an age oh it says three months actually that so young man is only aged three months wow that's that's pretty interesting i'd like Um, to try that yeah, yeah, I would too. And actually, oh, this is an interesting note on it. It says 20% of this wine has remained three months in barrel. So it's not all aged three months. That's that's interesting. Hmm. I would like to try that. Yeah, I wonder if the, I yeah. wonder if this uh, winery can order me these. This, this is interesting. I, I wonder or if you could uh, get like a, like a tasting pack. It's like, yeah. hey, I just want all four. Just yeah, yeah. give me all four. Yeah. And so in the booking... Is also 100% Tempranillo, and it says uh, 18 months in American and French, and then given an additional 24 months in bottle. And yeah, so that's okay. So that's interesting. So I wonder. Hmm, I, I'm really curious about this now. I bet you. I bet you the dude who ran that tasting. Room, I might go back over there. It was in. It was in Magnolia in Fort Worth at. Um, did they tell me what the wine club was called on here? That's yeah, not on their thing here. It was, but it, it's at this wine shop in Magnolia. It was actually kind of a cool place. Like when you when you nice. out here, we might go and hang out there. And yeah, Magnolia is kind of a cool part of Fort Worth. It's like uh, there's a lot of like the breweries and restaurants and stuff that you can just walk. It's it basically it's Ginn. Yeah. So it's uh, but this was on the very very far end of Magnolia, so it's kind of like way down there. Uh, but a good place to park if you're going to walk all the way in. And if you're going to stop there, get drunk, then walk, and then walk back. Well, it's kind of like where Smart like Smart Mouth is technically in Chelsea. Oh, yeah, and, right. Instead of Ghent. But, like, if you didn't know Norfolk, you'd be like, oh, this is Ghent. It's like, well, no, it's Chelsea. But Yeah, right. Like, yeah. not that this isn't Magnolia, but it's, like, out there. So but, but, Yeah, it, it may not be actually Magnolia, but it's on that same road that if you go far enough. Actually, where the Heim is or Heim whatever that barbecue joint is that I like a lot, it's on the opposite side. So it's like, so if, if we walked like two miles down, we'd be at Heim from where this winery is. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's uh, just a long, straight, straight road. But yeah, mm. I liked it a lot. It was a really cool place. If I can remember the name, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and if anybody's interested in checking it out, the tasting is uh, cheap. It's only 20 bucks and you get eight, eight wines to taste. And um the guy is very knowledgeable. It was full of a lot of uh, middle-aged white women who were extremely loud, but uh, but that was enjoyable I, to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that has nothing to do with the quality of the product. They yeah, were they, they, were, they were extremely loud. I think Victoria was just like she, she didn't out. care for the tasting, anyways, and also they were just way too loud for her. I think so. Um, yeah, but it was it was it's fun. I, I kind of wanted to go downstairs and have a glass of. They have actually this 
uh, breeding on uh, on draft, I guess. What do you call that with a wine bottle? On it's tapped, so um, you can have a glass, to, and the glasses are, are pretty inexpensive. I think it was it was like nine dollars or something like that. Um, That's not bad. No, not bad at all for an expensive yeah. wine, and uh, very knowledgeable staff, just and a comfortable place. They had you know, and apparently they do jazz night as well, so you can go and have a glass of wine and listen to jazz. <laughs> So, that could be fun. Yeah, yeah. When you're out here, I think that would be fun. They, and, yeah. Oh, they they also had like a really nice backyard courtyard garden that oh, uh, like better. yeah yeah it was really it was really neat. It's it's a little bit too hot to kind of sit out in those types of places right now, but um, you know it's 105 degrees and it's probably going to be 105 degrees through September, so uh, it's a little bit. Although I think next week it's supposed to be down in the lower 90s for a little while. Yeah, but, uh, today it's, it's hot. today <laughs> today it hit 90. And I went outside because, like, we forgot to walk Henry in the morning. Yeah. And, like, I went outside when it was supposed to be 90 to let him out to see if he'd go poop or whatever. And it was like, I was like, ah, it's not bad. And yeah. then, because it was, but I was on the shade, I was on the porch. And I was just like, tomorrow is supposed to be like 86, but like thunderstorms in the afternoon. So it could be just monstrously humid all day and then rain. It's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. But the next yeah, we- day is supposed to be like 78. And it's like, nearly july and we're still getting like days in the 70s that's crazy like, yeah it's so weird yeah la nina yeah, I mean, is like an yeah. interesting time <laughs> yeah yeah we've got i mean it's just been now granted i mean it's always hot here it has just been really really hot consistently for a long time and we don't have like any rain so uh actually we're not allowed to do fireworks this year but i think i think the cities are still allowed to of course <laughs> but uh, uh yeah that's gonna kind of gonna be a bummer i'm, I'm hoping that we can bring the kids to uh, see fireworks since they don't get, yeah. you know, they've never been to 4th of July. So I think that'd be kind of neat. Be All interesting right. if they had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they do American parties and stuff there, but they, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's not, not exactly the same. Yeah. Thing, yeah so. no. All right. Well, that's, I think it's a good place to wrap up. So uh, yeah. you want to do our plugs real quick? Yeah. So you can follow us at uh, tastinganarchy.com, shoulderberg.com. You can follow Jacob's uh, exploits on Twitter, either at the tasting anarchy handle or shoulderberg, which is his main uh, pump handle. Shoulderberg yeah. um, go should be, and I don't have the dates in front of me, but it may of 2023. Yeah. It's 26th uh, through I think 29th. I can, yeah something like that but we'll leave it we'll pull we'll get it better ones from there um so yeah if you can get your hands on oozel finch's uh nost uh wistful affection give that a shot Uh, any of the ones that jacob recommended some barbecue beer uh black rice lager a uh tempranillo granacha blend and uh some sort of ass wine that tastes like vegetables (laughs) (laughs) give us a shot um yeah Uh, stay free everybody cool everybody stay free